Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. <clears throat> so I'd like to um, follow up the last talk I gave. Um, if you remember, it was on uh, cultivating wholesome states. So this is cultivating wholesome states part two. <clears throat> and I want to first remind you that um, this is something that the Buddha encouraged and suggested. This isn't just a, you know, some theory of mine that it's a nice thing to do for practice and make you feel good. Uh, this is creating the, the foundation for the deepest kind of freedom cultivating wholesome states and, and uh, really developing them uh, when, they're, when they've arisen. But um, I've been seeing a few people in interviews that um, a number of people who, this is a, it's a challenge to, to hear talks about happiness and joy or you hear a talk about concentration and hear somebody flying through the clouds and and you say oh well that's not me and what about me and what am I doing wrong and so don't frame it as um, you've got to go for happiness especially if that word uh, touches something in you just first of all know that you're not alone Uh, And that however you hear this approach to practice, um, however it resonates with you, however you can hold it in a way that's meaningful for you and and inspiring for you is the right way. Don't let ideas or expectations get in the way of your practice. That... I've seen this all too clearly myself. Practice can just get to be another way to beat yourself up. And that's a real shame because you've been drawn to practice because probably something has touched you very deeply and inspired you. And has opened up a connection to the Dharma where you see it as a real nourishment and a real ally and a real support. How many times I've heard and said myself, what would I do without the Dharma? What would I do without practice? And so when it starts to be something that you don't measure up or feel frustrated that you're not meeting some kind of idea or ideal, then it turns from being your greatest ally to being a source of pain and suffering, which is a a very unfortunate shift. And it doesn't have to be that way. Although that is a natural natural development in most everybody's practice, 
where sometimes you love going into the hall and sometimes you don't love going into the hall. I remember once uh, Trungpa Rinpoche uh, said as one of his many quotable lines, practice is like having a love-hate relationship with your Zafu. So just be kind as best you can and patient and um, if you can, let go of the ideas and just know that what you're doing here is cultivating wholesome states, whether you realize it or not. It might not be so apparent while you're going through it. But as I said in that The first talk I gave on uh, my ode to mindfulness, every moment of mindfulness, you are weakening habits of greed, hatred, and delusion and strengthening habits of uh, generosity, kindness, and clarity. And instead of going for a particular state, especially if you're if you've got an idea that you've got to feel juice and bells and whistles and joy and stuff like that, um, you're really miss, uh, missing a, a very essential point. I mentioned it to somebody in uh, an interview today that when you're, if you're contracted, which happens to everybody, if you're contracted, just even the slightest movement, the slightest softening, the slightest mm, opening towards this moment is okay. Not only okay, but enough. Because in that shift from contraction to ease and openness, even if it's just putting down the whip for a little while, or just having the intention to bring about some goodwill and kindness to yourself or to the to your zafu or to life you know that that's enough because that changes the direction of the contraction and if you simply um, appreciate that that's enough It's just when you start thinking, oh, that's not enough, it should look like this, that the mind gets in and creates more contraction. Whatever funk or uh, contracted space that you might go in in this process, something that I really uh, want to remind you that you have, everybody here has incredibly good karma, amazing karma to have the interest, have the inclination, have the opportunity and the circumstances that allow you to wake up and be really called to do that, to sign up for a month or two months, don't miss that fact. You must be doing something right in your life. (laughs) 
and something to reflect on no matter how much doubt, how much um, self-judgment, how much frustration, how much dukkha in whatever way, there's something that's stronger than all of that that keeps pulling you through. I find that incredibly uh, comforting and inspiring. I don't know how it happened, but somehow I heard this call. And the same for you. Maybe you have no idea why or how you ended up here. Hopefully you still think it's a good idea. Uh, But something in you couldn't ignore a call to greater consciousness. What is that? What is that something? What is it that you've heard and can't ignore? It's something really deep inside of you. And whether you call it good karma or grace or what, what, however you hold it or explain it in your mind, don't miss that fact and dwell on, oh, but my meditation isn't good enough and you know, I'm, I'm having a hard day and, you know, I'm failing at this retreat. No. That's part of the process to go through the ups and downs. You're, you're not trying to get to some magical uh, point and experience that you can wear like a badge and say, I did it. This is about being here for the ride, for the ups and the downs, for the, the whole show. And the difficult times are just as profound and important and give us lessons that, um, as the sweet, delicious states. One thing I can assure you, if you haven't figured it out by now, whatever experience you have will not last. So no matter how great it is, appreciate it and then allow it to go in its own time. Don't think you've blown it. And no matter how difficult it is, appreciate it. See what there is to learn as you encounter this moment of life. You know, when we take refuge in the Dharma, We are, the way I take it, we are saying, I open up to life giving me just what I need to wake up. That's the the real surrender. Instead of thinking, this isn't supposed to be happening, if you're truly taking refuge in the Dharma, you're saying, okay, I, I surrender my idea and let's see what this moment and what life is giving me. How can I use this to my awakening? That's what, that's what really refuge in the Dharma is about, at least the way I, I think of it. And instead of thinking about or grading yourself, how am I doing? Keep coming back to your sincerity. Keep coming back to the sincerity of effort that you're bringing to this process. It's so easy to judge 
our practice by what it looks like on the outside. Oh, I'm sleepy. Oh, I can't believe it. I was clear yesterday and now I'm just kind of all over the map today. Um, that's, it's, it's almost, imp- it is impossible to tell the process from the inside whether you think it's working or not. It's working. You just keep on showing up. But rather than evaluating what it looks like from the outside or your imagined perspective of the outside, staying in touch with your sincerity is the key. That's your ingredient. That's what you can give to show up, which is a source of tremendous wholesomeness. As I remember the the Dalai Lama uh, saying, I was fortunate enough to be in a a conference of Dharma teachers a number of years ago, and uh, somebody asked him about uh, how he deals with, with suffering one day. And he said, my sincere motivation is my protection. And then the next day somebody said, and how do you work with fear? Because he said sometimes he can get afraid. And he said, without missing a beat, my sincere motivation is my greatest protection. That's your real protection, your sincerity of motivation, your sincerity of heart that you bring to practice. And that is a cause of great wholesomeness. Just reflecting on that. Something has kept you here. You're not gone yet, right? So appreciate that and know that there's something that really keeps on calling you. Here's, uh, this is from a yogi a, a number of years ago. He said, it's indeed a huge relief to realize that I am not in charge of my thoughts, that they come up completely unbidden. It's also a relief to know that I'm not in charge of my moments of awareness, that these are indeed just beautiful gifts. I think I've been laboring under the assumption that by sheer effort of will, I could manufacture awareness and that the only reason it wasn't happening was because of laziness or weak brain power, lack of dedication, etc., etc. So this shift of emphasis towards faith and sincerity of heart, letting the process evolve at its own speed, in its own direction, has made me incredibly happy so happy that it's really hard to come back to the breath. But that's, but that's okay. Just sincerity of heart, that's a good place to start. And you have it. You can't deny. You might try to deny, but you can't really deny. It's, you've got it. Okay, so with that in mind, I, I want to talk about other wholesome states that you can rest in besides the sincerity of heart, which is one you can always come back to and just feeling that and letting your, yourself be inspired by that. But there is a number of other ones. And I, I want to start this, this talk, as far as going through some, some states, with particularly seeing dukkha as a doorway to happiness and well-being. That is why 
one can think of why the Buddha started his teachings with, there is suffering in life. He didn't say it to bum you out. He said, let's take a look at this directly. And the more you can understand, yeah, there's suffering and there's an understanding of how it arises and the possibility of freedom and a way to get there, as Sally is sharing in her her series on the Four Noble Truths. But he starts out with the fact that there is suffering in life because that can be the doorway to real awakening. This is uh, Khalil Gibran. He says, your joy is your sorrow unmasked. And the self-same well from which your laughter rises was oftentimes filled with your tears. And how else can it be? The deeper that sorrow carves into your being, the more joy you can contain. Now you might say, okay, we'll bring on the joy. I've been carving a lot of sorrow, so let's get on with it. But it's, it's something to, to really understand that when you've been willing to open up to sorrow and suffering and pain um, and learning to open to it without contracting, without collapsing, without feeling that you're doing something wrong and learn wisely to open up to it, then uh, some wonderful things begin to happen. There's a, a, a teaching that I love um, that uh, I don't think has been mentioned here so far. I'm not sure. I haven't been to all the talks, but uh, I haven't heard it on uh, transcendental dependent arising. Has it been brought up? Has anybody said that? So this is... Um, very simply uh, a list that starts out with the fact that there is suffering. There is suffering and that suffering can be in this list the causative factor for faith to arise. Now you might say, how does that work? Let me just ask, how many people have been motivated to practice because of suffering in their life? Let me just show you. See, it's true. It's a great motivator. It shakes us out of our complacency. It makes us look outside of ourselves for answers, thinking, oh, not thinking anymore. Oh, I've got it all figured out. Oh my goodness, life is happening. How do I understand this? How do I sort this out? How do I keep my heart open in the face of this pain or sorrow. So suffering can be, if you're exposed to teachings and you have the opportunity and inclination to practice, suffering can be the causative factor for faith to arise. As here you are brought to practice and perhaps you have a bit of faith enough faith to sign up for a month or two months that it has spurred that on. 
faith can be the causative factor for gladness to arise. And you've probably had some moments of thinking, gosh, this is pretty amazing. I'm, I'm here practicing the Dharma, you know, or some peace or some, some little thawing of the heart. Gladness can be a causative factor for joy to arise. Joy can lead to happiness and contentment, can lead to equanimity and peace, can lead to the highest happiness. So to really honor the pain and the dukkha and the sorrow that you go through, and in fact, it becomes these real gifts for our practice. Because one thing that you've probably seen is that uh, dukkha tenderizes the heart. If it doesn't completely contract and implode and, and protect in the armoring, which can happen at times, of course, too, but when there's mindfulness and a willingness to bear what is perhaps unbearable, there's a kind of, the, the armoring breaks or thaws or softens and it, it tenderizes our heart. And that in itself is a movement towards a deep wholesome state as we can learn to let the sorrow or the suffering or the pain or the confusion just be and open to it and allow it to move through us without trying to help it along. We're learning to be with suffering as Uh, Robert Bly says, every part of us that we do not learn to love will become hostile to us. And so this is what we're asked to do, to just open up to the whole show, nothing left out. Oh yeah, here's too this loneliness or this insecurity or this pettiness or this anger or this wanting or this confusion all of it. Because when you open up to all of it, what you generally will find, what you will find if you hang in there with it, is there's a capacity to open to it that's even stronger than it. The awareness of sadness is not sad. The awareness of fear is not afraid. And there's that awareness that can hold it and a loving heart, a compassionate heart at times, just getting a glimpse that can, um, you see, is, is even stronger than those little, the dance of, of the negative mind state that comes up, the... Uh, unwholesome mind state that comes up. That when you face the very things that you're afraid of, you find an inner strength and a courage that you didn't know was there. How, how else could you find that you have that capacity? And what our sorrow and our suffering can do if we can remember 
that we are not alone in it, which is really where we get caught often thinking, oh, everybody else is sitting in this hall like a Buddha and I'm here freaking out, you know. (laughs) Or nobody, you know, the old, there's an old song, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. And we all have our own version. Yeah, nobody knows the trouble that you've seen, but you're not alone in this. And when you can see that this is the universal, then it takes it out of the, the small me and why is life doing this to me into, oh yes, this is what connects us all. And so suffering, I'm sure you've seen it for yourself, can lead to deep compassion. So it's something that you might reflect on while you're in the middle of whatever you're going through, you're probably not alone, not here. And think of all the people in the world that are going through just what you're going through now in their own version, their own insecurities, their own uh, fears, their own losses, their own sorrows. Dukkha isn't a problem, it's not bad, it's part of the process. It's an essential part of the process. This is uh, from the mother, from Sri Aurobindo's ashram. She says, um, you carry in yourself all the obstacles necessary to make your realization perfect. If you discover a very black hole, a thick shadow, you can be sure there is somewhere in you a great light. It is up to you to know how to use the one to realize the other. Now, it's easy to focus when we are in the middle of our pain and our suffering on um, what a drag it is, and why is this? Why aren't I over this now? Especially if you've been doing some practice, and you say, "My God, I've been. This is my third month-long retreat, or my seventeenth retreat, or my whatever number retreat. I should know better now." You're missing out on something. It's just one thought away. Believing your thoughts is just one thought away. I love this saying in, uh, in uh, uh, Hinduism. Even a 93-year-old saint isn't safe. <laughs> it's just one thought away, believing in your thoughts. The corollary to that is no matter how lost you've gotten, where you've gone, remembering Once you've seen, remembering is just one thought away. Oh, I was just believing that story. And you can come back. You might still be shaken and you might, there still might be the energy going through your body, but you start seeing, oh, this is just a a fabrication that my mind has created that I believed. Here's another thing to focus on instead of, 
oh, I can't believe I've fallen in the hole again. Um, as I was sharing with uh, someone in, uh, in an interview today, I love the, uh, the teaching from Pema Chodron. She says, take delight in that which sees the dukkha. Take delight in that which sees the dukkha. When you see the dukkha and you say, oh my God, here it is again, and you get bummed out, uh, you're not exactly taking delight in the seeing it, right? But if you can realize, oh, I'm seeing it. Oh, I'm seeing it. There's awareness that's recognizing it, that's not completely in it. Uh, Sylvia has a, a Sylvia Borstein has a, a good image that uh, just came to me that I like. You know, in the, when there's a, th- a big storm outside, if there's just one little shaft of sunlight in that storm, you know, just a little sun starting to peek through as things are clearing up, just one, the whole sky can be cloudy, and one little ray of sunlight. Doesn't that change everything? That's what awareness is. You don't need to have bright, sunny days and, and uh, you know, flowers growing and unfolding and all. Just one little shaft of sunlight. See, oh, I see. Oh, it's not all, all uh, dark in there and stormy. Ah, there's some light, the light of awareness on it. Take delight in that which sees the dukkha. Or Joseph has a, a, a similar kind of teaching that, that, um, that I like. He says, the not seeing of dukkha is dukkha. Because if you're not seeing it, you are bound to just keep on repeating it, getting lost and caught. But even if you can see it just a little bit, oh, I see. It's like the Buddha saying, I see you, Mara. You know, Mara, in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the Samyutta Nikaya, there's a number of different episodes, like 20 or so episodes of Mara coming to visit the Buddha after he's enlightened. You know, Mara comes and says, like, you know, oh, you call yourself a renunciate? You're sleeping four hours a night. You know, what kind of a wimp are you, basically? <laughs> Tries to knock him off his seat. And the Buddha says, I see you, Mara. And then Mara kind of slinks away. It's the same. Ah, I see you. Oh, and take delight in the fact that you can see it. And when you do that, little by little, you're training yourself to not be so afraid to see it. And you're transforming your relationship to that suffering in a very profound way. Sometimes the the dukkha is internal. Your mind states or how your mind gets gets lost. Sometimes it's external. Sometimes we go through really hard stuff. It's part of life. And if you say, this is some mistake, and if I were running the show, I'd do a much better job than this, you might spend a lot of time... um, railing at the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, as Shakespeare put it. But if you see, okay, this is, 
this is what I need to learn and wake up to, then um, you can transform that pain into something beautiful. Mm. And I want to share with you uh, uh, one, one story of somebody who's inspired me uh, very much, um, who is an example of this. She was here last week. I don't know, you might not have heard, uh, it was during one of the, one of the sittings, uh, the bell rung down in the meadow, kept on ringing and ringing. How many people heard that? Oh, oh you heard it, yeah. <laughs> you did. What's that? And singing. And it wasn't, uh, it wasn't singing. Um, oh, mm-hmm. it was a little chanting, I did a little chanting. So this is uh, Nancy's story. Um, she comes here um, pretty much every February 12th for the last um, 15, 14 years. Because 15 years ago, her daughter, who was 14 at the time, took her life. The, the love of her life and the apple of and this radiant being. And uh, she came here to practice because she didn't know what else to do. And um, the first few years, she was just hanging on for dear life, just wondering if she could get through the, the sorrow, the loss, the grief, the pain, the rage, the guilt, the everything. And uh, she kept on doing it, realizing this is one way to process the pain. The only way she could think of. And little by little, she started getting better and better at holding it and not blaming herself or her daughter or anyone. Just this is the way it is. And more and more, she came back to herself. And uh, at some point turned a corner and realized that she wanted to do something really uh, meaningful, turn this into something meaningful, because that that would give meaning to Julia's life. And um, she decided to start, as she, her, her own healing happened, to be there for others in similar circumstances. And so for the last, oh, nine or 10 years or so, she's been with parents of children who've uh, lost their lives, many through suicide and some through other, uh, other ways. And not only did she come back to life, she is this um, radiant being of joy. And she wrote me, this is after, and we, she would come here each year and we'd ring the bell together. And uh, she wrote me this after about um, five years. She, she sent me a card of, of this, a card where it was just this um, very, very cute card of 
uh, that would just make you, couldn't help make you uh, smile when you see it. And then you open it up. And she wrote, I've received a gift that is beyond words. I've witnessed my deepest despair, the darkest, most wounded quarters of my heart, and learned not to flinch or back away. I rested in love and even tasted joy, all the while still knowing the sorrow of my loss. A few days ago, I held a bereaved mother in my arms as she sobbed. She had lost her son to suicide. I held her to my heart as she held on for dear life. And as I rocked her, it was as if I was rocking Julia, rocking myself, rocking the broken hearts of all beings. In that rocking, in that holding, we were all held in one heart. I have been so blessed. Now she's uh, about to get married and uh, to her um, um, partner of a few years and they're uh, just bringing out so much love in each other. And uh, when I see her, I just, um, I light up. It's possible. You don't have to define yourself in any one way because this happened, I can never, and you can fill in the blank, the whole alchemical formula is turning our pain and our suffering into compassion and wisdom. So, this is one thing maybe to relate to um, in your cultivating wholesome states that every time you can see it, take delight in that which sees it. Or if not delight, just appreciate the fact that you can see it and that you're learning little by little to cultivate a strength and a compassion and a courage and a wisdom that is going to be not only beneficial to you but to everyone you meet. Okay, I'll go on to some other wholesome states. <clears throat> One that um, I find particularly key, as perhaps you have, many of you have as well, is somehow learning to be kind to ourselves. Even learning to love ourselves, or at least have metta for ourselves. Because when we can do that, we are not spending so much energy hoping that we're okay. It kind of frees up tremendous energy when you let go of trying to determine if you're okay or not. As, uh, As Dogen says, a great Zen master, he says, to study Buddhism is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be intimate with all things. Okay, so what does that mean? To study Buddhism, to practice the Dharma is to study the self. This is the laboratory that you have to understand the human experience. To study the self, when you really see who you are, 
not through the lens of not okayness, but oh, and this is this expression of life, and to appreciate, include yourself in the same meta that you would for everybody else, then you can forget the self. You don't have to be so preoccupied. Oh, I'm okay. That's nice. Oh, there's a Buddha in here, just like out there. And then to forget the self is to be intimate with all things. Then you feel connected to everything. You're not separated out and saying, you know, oh, I hope people think I'm okay. It's, you're letting that go. So, as I think probably most people can attest, those moments that you really can relax that self-judgment or that feeling of not enough and genuinely feel metta for yourself is, um, is transformative. This is, uh, let's see if I can find it. Mm. Mm. This is uh, Ajahn Sumedho on metta. In English, the word love often refers to something, something that I like. For example, I love sticky rice. I love sweet mango. We really mean we like it. Liking is being attached to something, such as food, which we really like or enjoy eating. We don't love it. Metta means you love your enemy. It doesn't mean you like your enemy. If somebody wants to kill you and you say, I like them, that's silly. But we can love them, meaning that we can refrain from unpleasant thoughts and vindictiveness from any desire to hurt them or annihilate them. Um, Sometimes there are things one doesn't like about oneself, but metta means not being caught up in the thoughts we have, the attitudes, the problems, the thoughts and feelings of the mind. So it becomes an immediate practice of being very mindful To be mindful means to have metta towards the fear in your mind or the anger or the jealousy. Metta means not creating problems around existing conditions, allowing them to fade away, to cease. For example, when fear comes up in in your mind, you can have metta for the fear, meaning that you don't build up aversion to it. You can just accept its presence and allow it to cease. You can... Minimize the fear by recognizing that it's the same kind of fear that everyone has. So this is one way to think of metta, not I love my fear, I love my insecurity, but I can have a kindness towards it and forgive myself for it. As uh, oh well, probably many of you are familiar with this passage, but I I really like it. And for those who haven't, uh, I want to share it Um, again. In the Babemba tribe of South Africa, when a person acts irresponsibly or unjustly, he's placed in the center of the village, alone and unfettered. All the work ceases and every man, woman, and child in the village gathers in a large circle around the accused individual. Then each person in the tribe speaks to the accused, one at a time, each recalling the good things the person in the center of the circle has done in his lifetime. Every incident, every experience that can be recalled with any detail and accuracy is recounted. 
All his positive attributes, good deeds, strengths, and kindnesses are recited carefully and at length. This tribal ceremony often lasts for several days. At the end of the of this, of the, at the end, the tribal circle is broken, a joyous celebration takes place, and the person is symbolically and literally welcomed back into the tribe. It's a good tribe to hang out with, isn't it? <laughs> well, when you hear that, you might think, oh my God, what are they going to do to this guy? And then when you, when you hear what they do, you think, of course that makes sense. They just forgot who they really are. And that's what we do when we're down on ourselves. We just kind of forget who we are. And so this is really uh, a remembering or maybe seeing for yourself for the first time who you really are. The metta practice that I've found very helpful, it was really a turning point in my, in my own practice even though I've been practicing for you know, 20 years, um, is, was metta for self, where I really got who I am. Just a glimpse, that's all it takes. And I'll, I just wanna share it with, with you as well. I was doing metta, doing a six week period of metta at, at IMS and um, you know, you start out with Metta for Self and I was going to be doing it for a week at least. And it was kind of going okay. You know, may I be safe, may I be happy. And I wasn't beating myself up. It wasn't really, you know, a gusher or anything like that, but it was okay. And then after about um, three days, somebody came to my mind who I knew really loved me. And I thought, this would be so easy if I could just see what they see. And then I thought, well, what do they see? Why do they, why do they love me? And that's when I um, turned this perspective and uh, for a moment got who I was and it really shifted things. So I just would like you to try this one out. Close your eyes for a moment. And um, bring to mind somebody who really, um, who you know really cares about you and who you share a real sweet, loving connection. If possible, not too complicated a relationship. And it can be your dog or child or whoever, just some being that you share a sweet, loving connection with. And uh, just imagine they're right here with you and uh, feel that sweet flow of energy between you. Now for a few moments, see if you can shift your perspective to look at yourself through their eyes and see what they like so much in this person, their friend, that they like hanging out with you. Notice all the qualities, maybe your playfulness or your intelligence or your kindness or whatever. Take it all in. Really get 
what shines through you whether you realize it or not. And see, if this person is worthy of kindness, and you might send some metta from their perspective, that's probably what they wish for you. May you really be happy. May you see who you really are. And then let your awareness move back from their perspective to right inside your own skin and stay connected with what you just saw from the inside. And just to remember those qualities and send yourself some kind thoughts. May I see my goodness. May I be kind to myself. May I feel all the love inside and and share my love well. Or whatever words you want, I'll just be quiet for a moment. Okay, you can open your, your eyes if you like. If you could just even get a glimpse of what your friend sees, that's enough. Then you can't pretend you're not worthy of kindness or love. And the more you, you can see it in yourself, the more then everybody gets to experience it. So you're not doing anybody a service by keeping yourself down. And if you can practice that, you know, then um, more and more, it's like you're just practicing what you've seen. Uh, here's something I often ask. Suppose you met somebody who really understood you, who really um, you know, understood your liked your sense of humor and um, appreciated your taste and really understood your take on things, really got you, how would you feel about meeting somebody like that? Wouldn't you be happy? There's one person that gets every joke that goes through your head. One person that gets your hopes and your fears and your confusions and your joys and your dreams. Just one. The unfortunate thing is they're right inside your own skin. But if you met yourself from the outside, you'd be saying, where have you been all my life? Why don't you just get it? Get who you are. So, why not? Why not? And perhaps if you got just a a, a touch of it, you can keep on building on that. Just see, you know, that's the classical metta practice is getting in touch with your noble qualities and really celebrating them. Not taking ownership of them. They've been gifted to you. 
So, you know, like I said in an earlier talk, don't go around saying, you know, hey, I've got, a, I've got some pretty good unconditional love inside. You know? <laughs> My unconditional love is better than yours. You know? No, that doesn't make sense. But it's just been given to you. So celebrate it. All the, all the qualities that you've been given, how wonderful. This is a very wholesome thing to do. And along with that, then you can uh, start to open up and see that in everybody. See something good in them. See that there's a Buddha inside of them just like in you. And uh, it becomes kind of interesting and fun to explore that. We enjoy and appreciate others. And to really see, if you look for the good, that's what you'll see. That's what, at least you'll have a better chance of drawing out. I, I share this uh, you know, as one of my basic teachings, my basic, I should say, teachings for myself and basic principles, instructions for myself. The more you look for the good, the more you'll find it. If somebody comes into a room and you're sensing they're seeing all your flaws, how do you feel? Flawed, don't you? Or small or defensive. And somebody else might come into that room and see maybe they know all your flaws, but they're just seeing how beautiful you are. How do you feel? Beautiful, don't you? We can feel that energy, that energy field. Somebody was talking about the energy field. Yeah, a temple the other night. And you, the more you look for the good in others, the more you'll draw it out of them. They can feel that in you. So, you know, to just see, oh, there's a Buddha in everyone. And to look for the, the good and the beauty. Not to be naive, but to see it's right in there. This is a very wholesome thing to do. Well, so just uh, the last that I'll have time for tonight, wholesome state is, um, well, it'll be combi- combined to letting go. Letting go is a very wholesome state that can be uh, tremendously not only freeing but bring a lot of joy and well-being lightening the load letting go you have lots of ways that it can manifest here but every time you let go of the ideas of good practice every good time you let go of the idea of being joyful or the hopes or the agendas or the expectations, every time you let go of the judgments. And by letting go, it doesn't mean dropping like a hot potato, it just means not feeding it. Every time you see it clearly, you know, like, uh, like Joseph has a, a very good, 
instruction. If you're bothered by your thoughts and you're sitting in the meditation hall, just imagine they're coming from the person behind you. You You don't have to take responsibility. Do you say, oh, let's have some doubt right now, you know? Or some rage, that would be good for me. It just comes up all on its own, right? Let go of taking ownership of them. They're just coming and going all on their own. And when you can let go of that, then you can let go of the control that you never had in the first place. I mean, that's pretty... After a while, you sit here day after day and you kind of get, this thing is out of my control, right? (laughs) Well, that doesn't have to be bad news. It's actually good news. Oh, great. Then I don't have to figure out where it's going. It's not up to me to make it a perfect retreat. It's just up to me to show up. And I can trust in the process. I can trust that the awareness will meet the moment. And you can open up to simply allowing life to unfold as it does. That's the, that's the real freedom where here you are, this mind-body process, just watching the whole thing unfold and not needing to take ownership of any of it, but letting yourself be amazed. Wow, what a show. And there's an awareness that knows that show. That's not even you either. But it sees without complicating things. This is one of the most delicious of wholesome states where there's simply awareness knowing and you don't have to figure anything out. Just relaxing into the surrender and the trust in being. So I'll close with um, a poem I love by Donna Falls. Settle into the here and now. Reach down into the center where the world is not spinning and drink this holy peace. Feel relief flood into every cell. Nothing to do, nothing to be, but what you are already. Nothing to receive, but what flows effortlessly from the mystery into form. Nothing to run from, or run toward just this breath, awareness, knowing itself as embodiment. Just this breath, awareness, waking up to truth. Don't miss any of those sweet, wholesome states when they arise but you don't have to manufacture them. Just let the awareness know. Just this breath, awareness knowing itself as embodiment, 
just this breath, awareness, waking up to truth. So let's sit for a moment. Thank you for your attention.